The showing of these videos is neither uh, an endorsement or uh, rejection of any of the views expressed in there, simply to illustrate where we are uh, in our culture right now. And certainly uh, the term cancel culture is a big deal right now in the world that we live in. And so these are messages uh, not designed necessarily to take a p- certain political stance or view or to make sure that everyone knows how they uh, should vote and how they should post and all of that. Uh, but it's more to um, expose or to look in the mirror and just ask ourselves, um, are there things uh, that we have kind of unintentionally accepted or adopted into our own way of viewing and interacting with the world uh, with one another? Um, as a result of the culture that says someone or something can just be uh, disregarded. We can just put that aside, put it over here. Um, Are there places in our life where in a world that it is so easy to dismiss other people uh, that we can inadvertently dismiss some of the very people that God has called us to care for? for and to live in relationship with. So cancellation happens and it's applied when a person is stripped of their value, their influence and their place in the world because of their perceived past or present views, opinions or behaviors. And so we see that happening all over the place, but I want uh, I don't I don't want to uh, give you false expectation here. If you've been expecting this to uh, promote your side of the agenda when it comes to politics or problems or the things that we see in the world, um, it's probably not going to do that in either direction because these messages are not designed to take that kind of position, but rather to kind of give us a, a mirror, something to look at in front of us. And so these messages are about me and they're about we rather than they. They're about me and we first rather than they. And the most difficult thing in the world to do is to see ourselves. The most difficult thing in the world to do is see ourselves. And so my prayer is today that for you like me, for you like me, this is not me telling you because I'm the preacher and I know what to say. This is what I've been learning in my own journey and my own realizations in my time with God and reading throughout scripture, his plans and intentions for me, that I am able to share what I have been learning. So this truly is for me first, and then it's for we collectively, all of us together as individuals and a community here together joined this morning um, before it is about they. And so what I want us to do is kind of come into it with the context that these messages are about people, not politics. These are about people first and then politics. Yes, politics has a place, of course, but it's about people first, not politics first. These messages are about people first, not problems first. It takes people to have politics, right? People are behind politics. People are behind problems. So these messages are getting to the heart of where we are as people first, before politics or before problems. And these messages are about people, not positions. And in our world right now, there are more issues to disagree about um, when it comes to the 
politics that we see in the world, when it comes to the problems that we have and experience in the world, and when it comes to the positions that all of us hold to be true for ourselves at this place in time where we view certain things through a certain lens in a certain way and have come and arrived at a certain position to stand on one issue or the other. So these messages and this message today is more about us than them, and it's more about people than all of the things that we could fill in the blank through politics or problems or the positions that we have. This came alive for me, and it's kind of been our theme verse over the last three weeks, uh, where James is talking to a group of people, and he's saying, suppose someone comes into your meeting, and they're dressed in fine clothes and fancy jewelry, and they're a rich person noticeably, and you give them a seat of honor, and you say, come up here and sit up front, but then you give special attention to the rich person, but when you say to a poor person who might come in, you go stand over there, or sit over here, that is what came alive for me, and I asked myself the question, who do I ask to stand over there? And I think that it would do us all some good, and I'm inviting you to do that. You don't have to, but if you would like to this morning, I think it would be cool if we could all kind of ask ourselves that question. Are there people in my life who I say, go stand over there? The best thing that we can do is try to examine ourselves, and that is what Jesus' plan always was. That is how he communicated. He always got to the heart of a person. It was always about me and we before it is about they. So what we established so far in this series is that everyone gets honor. The rich, the poor, those who come from one side of the tracks or the other, those who have different ideologies, opinions, behaviors, methodologies for the way they live their life, all of these things, right? Whether we're on one side or the other, everyone gets honor because of this. The righteousness, this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ. Paul is speaking of the righteousness that is given to us by God. It is not earned. It is not because we can put things on one side of the list of all the good things that we do in life. I'm generally a good person. I've, I've stayed faithful to my wife or I've been a good dad. I, I try to make it home right at five o'clock. You know, like we just have all these things. I'm a, I'm a good person. I'm a, I'm a good citizen. I contribute to the world around me and I show up to church and it's not all the things that are on the list on one side and there's just a few things on on the other side well we won't talk about those because especially for us that attend church most of those are ones that are done in secret most of those are the ones that we don't want anybody else to find out about and so it's kind of like they're not even there we kind of don't acknowledge those and everybody's got struggles I mean nobody's perfect right and so that's exactly what this is pointing out that righteousness cannot be earned because we all have sin and we all fall short of God's glory we all fall short of the design and intention that he made for us to experience all along we are justified freely again it's a gift it's given to us freely so when we approach our life and when we approach our relationships with others going into those with a stand over here kind of idea we assume that we have somehow earned a righteousness for ourselves that this person over here is no longer able to do for themselves 
And so because I have made the right decisions and we think to ourselves, well, I, I've made this decision and this one and it just, it just led to a, a pretty good life for me and I, I decided to follow Jesus. I just don't know why the whole world doesn't do it. And so we, we place our, our position here as if someone who has not done that yet is down here. But we all have the same value and we all have the same worth in Christ because it is a gift of righteousness and it is freely given to all. To all who would accept. And he then comes in and he redeems us in our imperfection. He redeems us in our moments where we have the secret list over here of things that we want no one to know about. And we invite him to work on those as we follow Christ and as we love him and as we experience his plans and intentions for our lives. But when we pretend or when we live like kind of unintentionally, like we are somehow better or we've somehow arrived and they haven't by the way that we speak or the way we treat people who we tell to stand over here, We take away the very reason that Jesus came in the first place, which was to give us a way out of having to be perfect, having to be right, having to be justified by the law. So he freely gives us that justification through his grace and the redemption that came through Jesus Christ. So week number two, we said that love or that conflict rather was an opportunity for love to come alive. And in our conflict and in our mess and in our chaos, and even though we were in a place where we were not good, he came and he built a bridge in the middle of that conflict through his love. And his love came alive in us. And so we read in Galatians 5, I'll say it again. And so Paul is saying, I'll say it again because he's already said it. He said it, and he said it, and he said it. And if you go to any of the other letters that Paul wrote to believers that he was leading and pastoring, you'll find that he had a similar message over and over and over. And he said, I will say it again. If you're trying to find favor with God by being circumcised, in other words, circumcision was an outward way that men and women, or that men had tried to become right with God. It was an external means to fight an internal problem. And so Jesus came to fix that. There is no longer any way for you. You, you, you should have realized this by now, maybe they would say, right? Maybe you should have realized this by now. There's no longer a way for you to try by all of your good deeds. You cannot be right enough. You cannot stand on the right side of every issue enough. You cannot can't come from the same back, or the, the, the good background and come from the, the great pedigree of all of your generations before you and been raised in the right way enough. There is nothing that we can do from the outside to fix us on the inside, and yet we try to do that over and over and over again. So when we elevate you and I, when we elevate our external accomplishments or our external goodness and we hold it over the head of those who are not externally good and those who are on the outside, they are wrong and they are dead wrong. And how could they believe that? And how could they vote that way? And how could they think that way? When we elevate our external ideologies and our external ways that we think gain us righteousness with God, we are eliminating ourselves from Christ because he came so that he could bridge that gap where we were not righteous. We were not good enough. We could not be right enough on every position. It would not work. So he says, go ahead, continue. 
continue trying to do this. But if you want to pretend that it's what happens on the outside and it's about all these issues, if you want to keep going in that direction, then just go ahead and live by the whole law. That means the secret list. It's in play now. The, the secret list that you hope no one finds out about. The secret website on your phone that you hope your spouse never sees. The conversation that you hope your friend never finds out about because you were talking so badly about them to another friend. The things that are unrighteous about you, those, those are all back in play. If you want to pretend that you're good enough on the outside to receive salvation and redemption from me, then just go ahead and live by the entire law. Go for it. But in doing this, just know that you've been cut off from Christ. Because Christ came to say, you're, you're not good enough. And I came here for your secret list. And until you can acknowledge that you have a secret list, until you can acknowledge that you don't have it all right, until we can acknowledge the me in the mirror instead of the they out there, we're cut off. We're cut off from Christ. Because it was through Christ that we have been given redemption and grace. You have fallen away from God's grace. How quickly we forget where we once were. I mean, can you remember the most difficult time in your life? Can you remember the time in your life when you disappointed somebody that you love more than you ever thought you would? Can you remember the time in your life where you felt so discouraged you felt like you couldn't even make it another day. I don't know how I'm going to get through us, but Christ. But there was a day, there was a point, there was a, a moment in time where you decided to follow him. And from that point forward, everything was different. How quickly we forget that where we once were are where the people are now. That we are free to criticize and ridicule and diminish and dehumanize. Galatians 5, 6. For in Christ, neither circumcision or uncircumcision has any value. That, that's not the conversation, he's saying. I, I know that you think you're right. I know that you think you're right. But these, these are external things. These are things that perish quickly. These are things that are only here for a moment and then they're gone. These are light and momentary things. It was the, it was the whole tone of Paul's teaching. It, it's really not about that. It's about something much deeper. And what's most important, and for those of us who have this, this passion, and I haven't said this for a couple of weeks, but personally, personally, not the stance of the church, none of that. Personally, I'm very conservative when it comes to my political beliefs, personally. One of those conservative values that I really hold in high esteem is the idea of personal responsibility. For those of us who would say, I think personal responsibility is very, very valuable and important, we should love this verse because you know what it's saying to us? It's really not about the outside, but he shifts the second part of this verse when he says, the only thing that matters, Nate, step up to the mirror. The only thing that matters for Nate here is that my faith is expressed through love. My faith in the midst of the things that I choose to stand for or against is expressed through love first. Remember, it's about people first. 
It's about people before politics. It's about people before the problems. It's about people. And it's about me. Expressing my faith. Expressing my relationship with God. What's most important is not these external things and arguments. They're important, but not most important. I'm not saying they're not important. But they're not most important. What's most important is faith expressing itself through love. So today we arrive at our overarching idea, and it's this. We want to never settle for making a point when we can make a difference. We want to never settle for making a point when we can make a difference. Points are not bad. Points are okay. But points are easy in many ways. But on the other hand, when you think about making a difference, it's the difference that we've all experienced in our own life. I look at the definition of difference. I loved it. And it said it's a point or way in which people or things are not the same. Can you remember? All the way back to the day when you decided, I'm going to follow Christ. And the difference that it made from that point forward. Can you remember the difference that it made in your life when you had no hope and all of a sudden a hopeless situation became full of hope because you knew that Christ could show up in the middle of that and restore that marriage. He could restore that relationship, restore that brokenness in you. It's a difference. It's the difference making power that salvation can bring to our lives. And why would we ever settle for simply making a point when we can make a true difference? Not from the outside in, but from the inside out. Proverbs says this, fools find no pleasure in understanding. They find no, no, no pleasure. They find no joy. They find no value in going out of their way to understand other people, to understand that there's a bigger picture sometimes than the things that we see right in front of us that we would like to argue and make our points about. But they delight in airing out their own opinions. They delight. I'm going to make sure my voice is heard. I'm going to make sure I get this off my chest. Take no delight in understanding, but they delight in airing their own opinions. Fools, fools who can see no longer than the end of their nose. Fools who cannot see the big picture of the landscape, of why we're really here. What our calling really is as believers and followers of Christ. And this makes sense. Because none of us want to be on the receiving end of somebody just trying to make a point. Have you ever gained a friendship because you want to fight? We miss the point. Have you ever come someone's way simply because they argued in your face better than you did? Not that we would admit it in the first place. We missed the point. We made our points, but... We miss the opportunity that was there to actually make a difference. And the reason we do this is because making a difference costs more. Making a difference, it costs more. It takes longer than you want it to. It's a marathon, not a sprint. It causes more self-sacrifice and surrender and humility than simply making a point. It costs more. Have you ever had an experience where you thought to yourself, that's easy for you to say, on the other end of that, some, someone else's comment. We love, like, 
every house we've ever lived in, we've renovated it and just done lots of projects. And then by the time we're renovating, done renovating the last space, we go back to the first one we renovated and we do it again. And we just love it. And so oftentimes my mother-in-law, who's very, very well-intentioned, she has really great ideas. Honestly, she has good ideas, great vision for things like that. But she'll give us, you know, all these ideas. And I think to myself, man, that's easy for your, you to say. You're not paying for it. That's an easy idea for you to give. You're not the one paying for it. And maybe your kids have come to you. Can't we go to Disney World? Well, it's easy for kids to say they don't get it. They're not paying for it. I wonder... I wonder as we look at the life of Jesus, we, we see a story about a woman who was brought to him, and she was brought to him in her weakest moment. And there was a crowd of people that found her caught in the act of adultery, and they, they threw her at the feet of Jesus, and they said, Jesus, what do we do with her? We have our stones ready, and we want to offer death to this woman in response to her sin and said they came to Jesus and they said what do you say that we should do with her and that they were trying to use this question as a trap they were trying to get Jesus to make a point make your point Jesus this sin is wrong this sin is evil this sin is terrible make your point this sin deserves death Make your point, they tried to get him in a trap so that they could become an accuser of him the same way they were to her. But Jesus instead, he bent down and he started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept questioning, come on teacher, make your point. Come on teacher, tell us what to do. Come on, say what you're going to say. He straightened up to them and he said, let anyone who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. There are many theologians and scholars that believe that maybe Jesus began writing the sins of others. Maybe some of the sins that we would consider to be smaller sins compared to adultery and certainly caught in the act of adultery. And maybe he began to write sins. But I wonder if Jesus could have just has e e have easily written words. Easy for you to say. You're not paying for it. It's easy for you to put her down here and elevate yourself here because you're not paying for it. It's easy for you to devalue and dehumanize a person because of their behaviors and their attitudes and their mindsets and their theology and their views and their positions. It's easy for you to put them down here. It's easy for you to say, but you're not the one paying for it. It's easy for us to separate ourselves from those who we disagree with, but it's easy. We're not the ones paying for it, but he did. The value of that woman's life was not dependent on her behavior. The value of her life was not dependent on the fact that she chose to do something that, of course, was wrong. Of course, it was sinful. Of course, it was evil. All of that. But what did the crowd have to offer her? Accusations and death. The crowd could only offer her death. And I'm so glad that just like for that woman, Jesus stepped in the middle of what they had. They wanted to kill her because of her sin. And he said, no, it's, it's easy for you to pick up the stone because you're not paying for this woman. 
It's easy for you to hold that view. But I'm paying for her. And right now, today, as I write in the sand, she has the same value as you. It says, at this, those who heard, they began to walk away one at a time, the older first. When I was 18, 19, I knew a whole lot more than I do now that I'm 35. And I'm sure that when I'm 55, I'll look back at 35-year-old Nate and say, man, you're pretty dumb. The older went first. But they walked away, one by one, and guess who was there? It was Jesus. Jesus straightened up and he asked the woman, where are they? Where are your accusers? Where, Where are those who condemn you? Where are those who pass judgment on you? Where are those who put you in a box that they belong in themselves? She said that, There's no one here, sir. Then neither do I condemn you. Go and leave your life of sin. How often do we start where Jesus ended? Aren't we pretty good at telling people, go leave your life of sin? Stop it. Don't do that anymore. What's wrong with you? But Jesus was not interested in just simply making a point. He made a difference. And so he went through a completely different context. And so as as we've looked in this series, we started week one with three starting points. Last week we looked at three commitments. Today we're looking at three tools. How do we make a difference and not just settle for making a point? Number one, we influence through relationship. We influence others through relationship. Jesus, in that moment, established a relationship with someone who he shouldn't have even been establishing a relationship with. He should have given no honor in that culture to a woman, and certainly not a woman who was caught in the act of rejecting the very law that God had set in place. He was the one. She was breaking the very law that Jesus created. And yet, he didn't use that as a moment first to say, stop doing what you're doing. Don't do it anymore. He came through the context of love. It was faith expressing itself in love. He was modeling the way. You don't start with the point at the end. You don't start with go and sin no more. If we want to be effective in the way that we are reaching the world, which is our calling first, to love people the way that he has loved us. If we really, really want to do that, then maybe we would go through the same door that Jesus did. It was the door of relationship where he was able to step into the lives of people and he gained influence in their life because of his relationship with them. We see a story about a rich tax collector. Tax collectors being the worst of the worst of the worst. You don't associate with them. You don't speak to them. They are the ones who betray their very own people. How much more wicked can you get? And yet, This is the story that we read in Luke 19. It said a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector. As Jesus was passing through, he saw this man. And it says that the wealthy tax collector Zacchaeus, he he wanted to see who Jesus was. What was it about Jesus? What was it about Jesus, I wonder, that Zacchaeus had heard about him that he was curious enough to want to get to know him? 
the worst person in that community, the one who had been shunned by everyone else, rejected by all of the religious elite, the one who had been criticized by those who thought they were to be of higher status than he was? What was it about Jesus that this man was curious enough about him to try to get to see him and hear what he was teaching? I've got to find out about this person. I wonder if in the midst of our stances in the name of moral integrity or political ideology that we believe we have solid footing on the foundation of God's word for. I I wonder if in the midst of that, there's anyone on the other side who is curious enough about our life because we are so different that they want to know what we have to say. We don't simply have to shove our points down their throat, but we begin to make a difference in their life before they even hear our point. Somehow, The worst of the worst wanted to find out about this person, Jesus. There was something about him that was so different. He was willing to climb up in a tree and figure out what he could see. So he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. He was influencing already through relationship when he called him by name. The one he wasn't supposed to be speaking with, he was entering into a relationship with. Zacchaeus, come down. I want to come to your house today. We influence through relationship. What we see when we decide to influence through relationship is that it's hard to hate up close. Has anybody ever met you and they met you and then, you know, a month later, two months later, six months later, years later, they say, you know, when I met you, I really didn't like you. The first time I met you, I thought you were kind of like, you know, arrogant, or I thought you were kind of like standoffish. I I didn't think I would like to, but now that I know you, things are different. Isn't it true that we often offer and extend more grace for people that we know up close? I'm really glad that my wife does that. What makes her love real and genuine for me is not the fact that I'm perfect. It would be easy to love me. (laughs) But what makes her love genuine And real is that I'm not perfect and she loves me anyway. Because we're in relationship. When we're in relationship with other people, we don't hold them to such a high standard that they have to meet our standards for us to give them honor and to give them grace and to give them the respect that he paid for. It's hard to hate up close when we try to influence. And we're on that journey to influence through relationship. When we're on that journey, it helps us believe the best in others, as we often do ourselves. Isn't it true that we often judge ourselves by our motives, but other people by their actions? Well, I didn't didn't mean to, so it's okay. We show up late for a meeting. I'm sorry, I was, I was so late, but I was trying to get out the door, and, I, and my wife was trying to get, you know, five kids ready, and I thought I could just tell she was overwhelmed in that moment. I just love my lo- wife so much, and I'm so sacrificial in the way that I love her that I went out of my way, and I helped her, and I made sure all the kids were ready for school and helped her get cereal for all of them and all of that. And so I'm sorry that I was five minutes late, but on the other end of that, when someone is late to see us, you just wasted five minutes of my time. Are you so irresponsible and inconsiderate that you couldn't show up to see me on time? 
But when it's us, no, it's because I was so selfless and so considerate that I was late. We often judge ourselves by our motives, but other people by their actions. When we go through the context of relationship first, the relationship that leads to influence, we ultimately end up believing the best in others. And I think maybe we could all agree for most people, okay, maybe there's corrupt politicians, heartless politicians, all of that kind of stuff. But for most people, we don't really want to be wrong about stuff. We don't really want to be so wrong in our ideologies and opinions on things. Nobody wants to be wrong. What if people are mostly just doing the best that they can? Maybe it's playing out wrong. Maybe the best that they can looks much differently than yours. Especially when you look at maybe their past experiences and things that they've gone through in life. And and maybe you've handled those things better than they've handled them. But maybe that's the very evidence that they need you. To love them. Not build a wall between them. When we go through the door of relationship, we notice that people are in process. We do this with our kids. We see we don't expect our nine-year-olds to act like 16-year-olds. We know that they're in process. They're just learning. They just don't understand yet. Remember, can we go back to the moment that our transformation started? That there was a time when we were not even in the process of being transformed in our mind by the way that we think and the renewing of God working in our lives? Do we know that there's things that, that God is still working on us on today that he rid us of years ago or we're awakening to new ways of following him and honoring him with our lives that we weren't even aware of six months ago. But we don't extend the same grace to other people who are on their journey as well. And maybe they're behind us in some way or another. Maybe they're ahead of us in others. But we recognize and we see that everybody is on their own journey. And we extend the same grace. We extend the same love to them now that we were extended back then. When we were the ungodly. When we were the ones who didn't know. When we go through the door of relationship first, we notice that people are in process. Tool number two is we stand for something good, not just against something bad. We stand for something good, not just, for, not just against something bad. Continue the story in Luke 19. It says, when Jesus reached a spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down for there, from there. I'm going to your house today. So he came down at once and he welcomed him. All the people saw this and they began to mutter. He has gone to be a guest of sinners. In one moment, in one moment of Jesus being for Zacchaeus in a world where no one else was, for him enough to know his name and call him by name, for him enough that he wanted to be in relationship with him, even though it would cost him ridicule, it would cost him the opinion of some others who were onlooking, saying, why are you doing that? Why, why are you entertaining sin? Why are you going to be a guest of sinners? But he chose to do it anyway. Standing for something good, not just against something bad. It leads us toward what actually matters most. And what mattered in that moment most was not the opportunity that Jesus said, Zacchaeus, hey, come down from there. 
Stop being a tax collector. What, what are you doing? Haven't you been watching my life? I mean, you've heard about me enough. You must know what I stand for. You've heard about me that I was coming enough to go stand up in the tree. Come down from there. I want you to go give back all the money that you've stolen from your own people. And maybe they'll accept you back. He didn't take the opportunity to do that. But he, he went the extra mile toward what mattered most in that moment. He was standing for the good that he saw in Zacchaeus that no one else did. He was standing for the good, not just against the bad. And so it led him toward what matters most, which was relationship with him. It mattered who Zacchaeus was as a person. Number two, it leads us to care. There's an old saying that says people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. In our telling everyone what we know and how smart we are and how right our opinions are, do they sense that we care about them at all? Do they sense that there's a, there's a deep connectedness to us as humans that I, I really, really want what's best for you? And it would, wouldn't it be nice if we could all just start on the platform of agreement when it came to politics that what's best for people is what's best for people? And we can debate everything from there, but could we all get on the same page that what's best for people in our country, that's what we want, is what's best for people. And rather than pr- protecting our party and what we've always stood for, and well, this is what my, how my mom and dad did it, and all of that kind of stuff, like, let's, could we establish some common ground? Could we just care enough for people that it becomes about people first? And last, it, it leads us toward light. It leads us toward light because when we're standing for good, not just against something bad, we're standing for the idea that the darkness will never experience light by telling the darkness how dark it is. The darkness will never experience light by telling it how dark it is. It will only experience light and the darkness will only be extinguished when we bring light to that darkness. It's something good. There's a good friend of mine who... He's much older than me. He's become kind of a mentor to me now. Opened many doors in the, in the arena of, of ministry for me. He's been in the recovery space for 10 or 12 years. But 13 years ago, he found himself in a hospital bed. For what he thought could have been the last time at the end of his life. Because he completely disowned his family. He spent every dollar that his family had on his alcohol addiction, on strip clubs, women, addicted to pornography, addicted to medication, pills, never went five minutes without a drink, and he found himself in a low life, right? How how could you leave your family? How could you do this to your family? He said a pastor showed up to the hospital a friend of a friend, of acquaintance of the family, a pastor showed up to the hospital and he said, you know what? He was telling me this story later. He said, I almost lost my life many, many times. I ran our family financially to the ground. I lost the respect and honor and love of my own children and my wife. And it was never enough to cause me to turn around. But he said, this pastor came in and he presented to me the possibility of what good could be in me and that the way I was living didn't have to be all there was and he said it wasn't until that moment that he realized that there was good that there was light that light came into his dark place that turned his life around 
Now many, 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 hundreds and hundreds and thousands. He's on a task force at the White House to help people who find themselves in the same position that he was 13 years ago. I'm really, really glad that there was somebody who didn't offer him death in his weakest moment. But they stood for something good in his life instead of pointing the finger and standing against what was bad in his life. Continue. Luke 19 says, All the people saw this and they began to mutter, He has gone to be a guest of a sinner, but Zacchaeus, he stood up and said to him, Lord, Lord, here and now I give half of all my possessions to the poor. Jesus never told him to do that. But it came through the relationship with Jesus first, and he knew what to do. It's a process. It's a journey, but it starts with Christ. It starts with a difference made in our life, not making a point. Tool number three is do what you can do now. Do what you can do now. And I found myself at this place just, I don't know, a month or two ago, so discouraged by just all that we see in the world around us. It seems so overwhelming. I mean, honestly, it seems a little hopeless at times. (laughs) How are we ever going to get better? (laughs) It's hard. And I was just re-energized and renewed in my heart when I thought, what can I do right now? I can walk into a public school and I can teach those kids the best that I possibly can in hopes that there's some seed planted there when I go into that classroom. I can show up on a Sunday morning at 9 o'clock in a few, few rooms over in this building and talk to some teenagers about the life that God has planned for them. And I know that that can be a seed planted that God can bring to life later. I can wake up every day and I can be faithful to my wife and I can love her and I can go out of my way to sacrifice and surrender for my children so that they are loved by me and somehow in being loved by me in that way they understand the love of God through me. Do what you can do now. What if we all decided we're going to do what we can do now? It says, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately for I'm going to your house today. Jesus was on a mission. He was on a mission, quote-unquote, bigger than Zacchaeus. But he said, here's what I'm going to do today. And it was the daily life that Jesus lived. And it was daily his disciples watching and learning from him. It was a daily decision that Jesus made. I'm coming to your house today. Today, it keeps us looking in the mirror where we can see ourselves. What can I do today. What can I do today? I cannot control everyone around me. I cannot control the way everyone else views around me, but I can decide for me. I can decide for me and my house. I can look in the mirror and decide what can I do today to make a difference and not just a point. Galatians 5 says, for in Christ there is no circumcision or uncircumcision. It's not about that, but it's, it's, my, it's my deal. It's what I can say to myself in the mirror. Am I expressing my faith through the way I love other people? Doing what I can do now, it allows me to remain present. It allows me to look at the needs that are in front of me. It allows me to care for the person who's in front of me right now. It allows me to build and develop relationships with the people that I'm with. And I can be in that moment and I can bring life and light and salt into that circumstance, into that life into that situation it allows me to be present and number three 
doing what I can do now, it points others to Christ. It points others to Christ. When we love the way that He is loved, when we allow conflict in our world to become an opportunity for love to come alive, when we honor everyone out of reverence for Christ and the fact that He paid for it, that's when He says in John 13, by this, by this love, this is how people will know that you're mine. This is how people will know. It's by the way that you love one another. Matthew 5, it says, You are the light of the world, a town built on a hill that cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl, but instead they put it on a stand and it gives light for everyone in the house to see. In the same way, let your light so shine before men that they see your good deeds and come your way on your opinion. That they see your good deeds and realize, man, he was right. That they see your good deeds and your Facebook posts and what you do and what you say and how you act and they glorify their Father in heaven. That's the goal. Some say, and I don't, I'm not sure I disagree necessarily, that we're in a battle. What, what about the soul of America is at stake? I, I agree with the sentiment of that, but America doesn't have a soul. People do. It's one life at a time. It's one person at a time. It's one conversation at a time. It's one point of light in a dark space at a time. It's someone being the living among the dead. That's what changes things. Could we today decide we are never going to settle for just making a point, but we are going to make a difference? The difference. We're going to bring to light the difference that only Jesus can make in our homes in our families, in our communities, in our nation. Could we decide that we're going to allow the conflicts and the challenges and the struggles that we see to allow love to come alive because it's come alive in us so much through Christ that it comes through to other people as well. And could we give honor to everyone because he paid for it? because of his value for every life. So as we prepare to receive communion, I have three questions that I would love for us just to ask God to speak into our heart and our life about. Three questions. Number one is, do I ever settle for telling others what I want them to know without knowing them? Do I ever settle for telling others what I want them to know without really knowing them? If so, maybe I'm not really following the pattern and the model that Christ set before us. Number two, do I criticize more than I contribute? Is it easy for me to share my opinion and to make sure everyone knows what I need to get off my chest and hear all of my arguments, but I'm not actually doing anything? Is it easy for me to post about my pro-life stances, but is it difficult for me to actually go and volunteer at a women's shelter that might lead to the prevention of one more aborted baby? Is it easy for me to talk, but difficult for me to do? Is there an area of our lives that God is calling us to take a step and to do something and to contribute and to actually be a part of the solution, to be a part of bringing his kingdom to earth, not just talking about it? And number three, do I forgive as I have been forgiven? 
I'm so thankful for the words on the cross when Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And sometimes we think of forgiveness like forgiving our spouse for some deep hurt or deep wound that they've caused in our life or forgiving some family member for something that they said or did to us when we were a child and we we have to reach way down there to try to forgive them. But what about forgiving strangers that we don't even know when they offend us? What about offering and living in a state of continual forgiveness as Jesus did when he didn't even know the man next to him and yet he extended forgiveness to him in that moment, a perfect stranger, just because he could? Do we forgive the way that he has forgiven us? The song that we have sang for the last couple weeks says, For the One. The name of the song is For the One, and it's for the ones who are broken, for the ones who are hurting. Could we remember this morning that we are those ones? And there's a whole world full of the ones that Jesus is calling us to share hope, to share love, the way that he has loved us. So I'm just going to give a couple of minutes and you can contemplate those questions and ask God to speak into your life as I'm doing as well and receive communion.